1: No purchase necessary. VGW Group, were Prohibited by Law. 18 Plus Terms and Conditions apply.
0: Hi everyone, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Blaschenberg. I'm your host for Yoga Birth Babies. And before we get into our podcast today, I wanted to take a moment and thank one of our listeners, Ashley from Geneva, Switzerland, who made a very generous donation to the podcast. It's acts of kindness like this that allow the podcast to keep going. So if you have enjoyed listening to the podcast, you found it beneficial and supportive to you for during your pregnancy or your birth or your labor, or if you're a doula and it's added to anything for you, if it happens to work for you, we would love a contribution to help the podcast continue. I'd also like to ask if you are enjoying the podcast, if you wouldn't mind taking a moment to rate and review us. It helps other people find this juicy information and hopefully again, add to their experience. So, okay, without any further ado, let's get to our podcast. Today we have Lauren Seidman. She's one of our community members and she's been with us for two pregnancies. I think it's so important to listen and feel supported by the community. So that's why we're always trying to enrich our podcast with more community members. So if you're a community member that wants to give your birth story and have a chat, let me know. All right. So let's get to Lauren's story. Let's welcome Lauren. It is Ryan here. And I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohoo, a hand clapper, a high-fiver. I kind of like the high-five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. BTW for void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.
0: Hi, Lauren. I am so glad you are here today. Thank you.
1: Thanks so much. It's
0: great to be here. So community members, Lauren is coming on and she is a community member. She's been with PYC for two babies and she's had some, her, both her birth experiences are pretty amazing and her preparation for birth. And she's actually studying to be a Lamaze teacher. Yay. Is it
1: Lamaze or just childbirth educator? still deciding we're trying for Lamaze. Okay.
0: Yay, Lamaze. Um, so <laughs> I love having community members come on and talk about their birth. I think oftentimes we just hear the negative from everyone and Lauren's births are pretty wonderful. And especially because this has given her the trajectory of going into the birth world, I thought what a better way to continue to enrich our community. So I'm really excited. So Lauren, Thanks let's so jump. Much. I'm so happy to speak with you. And it's also, it was fun having you in class both times.
1: Yeah. I miss being the there. Maybe I'll have to have another baby just so I keep coming <laughs> back to prenatal yoga. <laughs> you may want to run that by your husband. <laughs> All right, so let's just start with tell the community a little bit about yourself. Sure. So um, my so well, we currently live in the Upper West Side, um, on ninety seventh Street. My husband and I actually met in high school. Um, we got married in twenty fourteen and just had our fourth anniversary. Um, and we have two kids. We have a boy who's just over two and a half. His name's Ellie and my daughter, who's actually nine months today, um, Shoshana. And we both work in the city and we've lived here for a few years now. So
0: do you think you'll stay in the city?
1: (laughs) That's the question. (laughs) Um, yeah, I think we, we do, we do want to stay for as long as we can, but it's definitely gets, it gets tight and very expensive, as you know. Yeah, get, have ju- kids here. Yeah, I know you ship when Jersey. Yeah. Yeah,
0: right. Once my son turned five, it was yeah. it was getting tough.
1: Right. So we're two kids in a two bedroom. It's it's tight, we're making it work. Um, but I don't think we'll be here forever, unfortunately. <laughs>
0: So tell me a little bit about I saw you through both your pregnancies, although not as much with your second, because yeah. it was your second and you had <laughs> another at home. So tell me a little bit about your two pregnancies and how they differed from one another.
1: Sure. So actually both my pregnancies, fortunately, were pretty easy, um, uneventful. Um I think, you know, with the first one, I was really thinking about, you know, what's it like to be a mom and really um Just wondering what it was going to be like to have a baby around, Um, and and obviously trying to learn a lot about what labor and delivery was going to be like. Um, I know we'll talk a little bit about that later. Um, And then with my second, you know, it was definitely it definitely went a lot faster because I was distracted (laughs) with the first, Um, and I wasn't you know, it wasn't like, Oh, I wonder what it's going to be like to have a baby. Cause I already knew what it was like to be a mom, but it was sort of like, how are we going to transition to a family of four? Um, and how do I want my birth to, how would I like my birth to go and what would I like to do differently this time around than the first time? Um, but yeah, I mean, my, as far as my actual pregnancy goes physically really like, Unfortunate, I've had pretty easy pregnancies, um, so I can't complain on that. But just mentally, I was, you know, definitely in a different headspace.
0: Yeah, you don't have really the time as much to think about it. And when you, if you can even remember back to that preparation, what were some of the things you were thinking about? Like when thinking, what's it going to be like to be a mom? Like, how were you mentally preparing that? And did it did it match the reality? Did it match what you had envisioned?
1: Yeah. No, I mean, now looking (laughs) back, I I feel like I have friends who are pregnant now with their first and I don't like, I don't think there's anything. I really don't think there's anything anyone could tell you to really prepare for having a baby. Um, it's for, for me, it was just the most intense transition, um, and really challenging. I think what I, you know, what I did to prepare was, Um, you know, I read books about baby sleep and we obviously had a registry and looked into all the supplies that we needed for a baby, but I don't think, I don't think there was anything I did or anything I really could have done to really prepare for the identity shift to not mom to mom. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think the only way I could have, you know, been prepared for that is to actually have gone through it. Mm Um, and also, I, I just, yeah, I mean, I, I want to say I don't think I was prepared. But again, I don't think there was anything I could have done to prepare more. I think I was really like in shock, like in shock how intense the transition was. Um,
0: yeah. I don't know if you've been listening to the podcast recently, but we've done several Podcast yeah. recently about that transition. I don't know why all of a sudden it's really resonating with me to talk about. And I've been in this for a few years oh, wow. already, and and something about it seems like it's really percolating to the top. Talking about this transition, one um, the podcast being released tomorrow. This is going to be this podcast will be released in a while, so people are like when was tomorrow? Um, it's all about um, that shift called if I can say it correct matronescence, like adolescence. And then there's one I did a couple that was just released, I think last week about that identity shift. And it's, oh good, I'm glad. It's, it's a really big deal. And I think you're right. Like we can try to repair ourselves. We can have our support team around us, but it's one of those things until you're in it, you just don't know. Cause each baby is going to offer a different set of challenges and, and delights.
1: Totally. And I was just having this conversation with my husband actually, and I was saying that I think like when you're pregnant, you sort of have a little, you sort of have like a perceived sense of control over the situation, <laughs> right? It's just really you, you can control what you eat, you can control when you sleep, you know, you sort of feel like the sense of control. And then even when you're in labor and delivery, like obviously there's, a, you know, you don't know exactly what's going to happen, but it's really just you going through the experience. And then when you have your baby, it's you, but now you have this other person. Yeah. Yeah. That's changing the dynamic that is totally dependent, not mature in, <laughs> in any way, physically or emotionally. And now you could plan all you want, but they may not accept those plans. So it's sort of like, oh my gosh, now what do I do? Does yeah, I
0: always absolutely. I tell the students that are like, and I know it's like to be 39, 40 weeks and kind of just biting at the bit to be like, wait, am I not going to be pregnant? And I say, enjoy this. Like if you decide yeah. you want to put your shoes on and go get a bagel, you can. Yes. Right then <laughs> and there. And if you decide that with a newborn, you might have a blowout, you might need to feed. And you know,
1: totally. <laughs> it takes half yeah. an hour to get out exactly. the door.
0: So exactly. what, well, wait, let's talk about prep, uh, preparation in terms of education for birth. So we, so we know, okay, for motherhood, it's kind of a learn on the job. What about, what did you do for mental and physical preparation and education for your births?
1: Yeah. So, you know, as you said, like with my first pregnancy, I was at prenatal yoga center
0: pretty much once a week.
1: (laughs) Yeah. If not more, especially at the end. Um, and I, I mean, I feel like you and other teachers at the studio do a really great job of just incorporating, childbirth education into those classes. So I felt like I got a lot of of education um, and information there. Um, Also physical preparation. I mean, that was huge for me, like under, like a lot of the movements and things that we use in class, I definitely incorporated during my labor. Um, So I was super helpful. And then in addition to childbirth education, so my husband and I watched this Video series like Laugh and Learn with Childbirth. (laughs) We didn't want to go to an in person class, so we did that, and it was actually pretty helpful. But in addition to that, I read a number of books and I was just Googling like I Googled positive birth stories um, because I wanted to get the positive people who had a I wanted to get information from people who had had a positive birth experience to try to inspire myself. Um and know what to expect from moms who had been there. So it's a combination of yoga, childbirth class, and then also just researching and reading on my own. You
0: know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator I think that's important, though, the positive stories, because it's so easy to get the negative. And I feel like yeah. people want to share their negative. And at first, I used to get annoyed by that. But I've actually taken a different perspective to that and, and work with me on this. So, oh, what's that? okay. So, <laughs> so, I think. Knowing how many women come out of birth, and it's a statistic I looked up a couple weeks ago. I think the statistics, like 45% of women define their birth in some way as traumatic. So I think while they're not trying to scare you, I actually think they're trying to process Process. it. So Mm -hmm. I'm trying to look at it with a little more compassion and empathy, not that they want to unload in a negative way, but- They're still trying to work through their own birth. Does yeah. That makes sense.
1: So true. Yeah. No, that totally makes sense. That makes sense.
0: So yeah, um, even though it's not easy, especially if you're pregnant for the first time, hearing a horror story. Horror story. But yeah. trying to almost hold the space. And and I worked with this acupuncturist who told me she's like, turn when you have negative energy or negative stories, you turn your body away so you're not taking it in fully. Oh, wow. So I used to notice, I would listen, but. Turn my body so that they can still have their freedom to talk, but I wasn't absorbing it. I know we're going a little new but (laughs) I just wanted to share that.
1: No, I think that's true. And I, you know, I, I definitely hear that about needing to express and process um, negative experiences that totally make sense. I think also just compounding that is like, and I know you talk about this a lot, like this the socially and culturally and in the media, how birth is, is, um, portrayed as like emergency, screaming emergency. And that just, just did not resonate with me. So I was like, okay, what are some real stories that we can get our hands on? Um, well, I'm glad, I'm glad that you went ahead and looked for the positives. So talk about your two births. How are they different? Yeah. So, um, my first, my, so I guess taking one step back from that before I get into the details. Um, yeah. So going into my first birth, I, I had a, I sort of had this, um, notion that I wanted to try and go for an unmedicated, um, labor. So I, I did not want to have an epidural if I could avoid it. And that was sort of like the only factor that mattered in my mind meaning I wasn't really thinking about the other things that I know about a birth experience now, but I felt like in my mind, the question was like, are you going to get an epidural? And when I would, and for me, the answer was, well, I'm not planning on it. Um, And it was just all sort of um, consolidated into like that one piece of it, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense. Yes. Um, So I wanted to go in and, you know, try not to have an epidural and also minimize other interventions as much as possible. I sort of felt like an epidural could open the door for other interventions that I didn't really feel like I wanted in my birth if they weren't medically necessary. So that was how I went into it. Um, I actually was eight days late with my first, ended up getting induced. Um, so yes, had some medical intervention there, um, but was able to, you know, go ahead. And I, I, I did not end up having an epidural, so I was, you know, happy about that. Um, but in terms of the other aspects of my birth, so I gave birth um, to my first at NYU. And I I mean, when I got there and I was, you know, in and I was started having contractions and labor was getting more intense, I felt like the nurses and the staff there would just Literally, I had a nurse that basically rolled her eyes at me when I was (laughs) in full active labor. Um, They were, like, not supportive. Really, what I remember about my experience is, like, bright lights, (laughs) nurses that were not interested in supporting my birth. Thank God I had a doula who was amazing, and my husband. Um, And at the end, when I was... Um, pushing I just remember having a lot of people there like I don't really don't know why because of my second birth and I'll get to that in a second I only had my doctor and, and one nurse with Ellie my son it was like a resident my doctor who almost didn't make it in time to catch my baby a doc, my doctor, and then another another two nurses, and then another person. It was literally five people like surrounding me when I was trying to. What time of year was it?
0: Him. What t- was it? July. December
1: twenty ninth. Oh, like, see, Christmas week. that's
0: strange. <laughs> I was thinking because I know in July there's a shift of new residents, so people yeah. are really excited to learn. And I thought maybe that's why your room was so crowded.
1: No, no. It was just crowded. Uh-huh. And I, to be honest, I guess how I would. Um, you know, without going into all of the details of the birth, like I, um, in retrospect, I feel like I'm more able to un- like process it, but I felt like it was, I wasn't really supported by anyone, but my dual and my husband who were the ones in the room, um, when it came to pushing, like they said the cord quarters around his neck and like, they, like they were co- My doc, one of the nurses there was saying to not push, and my doctor was saying to push, and it was just like very confusing, and like I didn't know what was happening. And then they took Ellie, and they he needed a little bit of oxygen, um, and they gave him to me, and I needed stitches, and it was just like very chaotic, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I guess in retrospect. Um, And I was, I mean, I was like I was saying before, like I'm I in terms of the experience and, you know, my goal being to try and go without medication, I accomplished that goal. But in terms of like the overall experience, it was okay. Um, it was, it was just not the most like positive feeling. So now I'm into my second birth. So I ha- actually switched, um, do- switched doctors for my second birth for a couple of reasons. The first reason is really, first is really logistics. So my first, Doctors all the way downtown. We live in that right West It wasn't possible to get there. And now with a toddler at home. Second reason, which I really felt made a huge difference in my birth, was that I realized, like, in retrospect, even though I really did like my first doctor, in terms of our philosophy surrounding birth, I don't think we were on the same page. Um, meaning I'm pretty non-intervention, you know, non-intervention leaning when it comes to birth. Like I really do feel that birth is a normal natural process that women were made to do and we can do it, um, with medical intervention being used as needed, but not as a go-to. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think for my, with my first doctor, like she was definitely more, um, intervention happy. Um, and didn't, we didn't really see eye to eye on like the more natural, quote unquote, uh, birth process. So, with my second doctor, um, I really felt that difference. Um, and I don't think I really appreciated that until I was in my second pregnancy and had had Shoshana. So, with her birth, I actually had a lot of <laughs> false alarms leading up to my due date. I kept thinking I was in labor um, and then contractions would stop. So, it was either like actual contractions or Braxton Hicks, I'm not really sure. but Um, I, I kept thinking I was going to labor and then I wasn't. And then I actually had her on my due date. So I actually went into labor on my due date. Um, and in the morning I started having like one contraction an hour. And because I had had so many false alarms leading up to her, leading up to the actual delivery, I mean, leading up, leading up to actual labor, I Was just like, I'm just going to ignore my contractions until they bother me because this is great advice. See, when you become annoying. (laughs) And when you
0: become a Lamaze teacher or whatever, that's great advice. Right.
1: Ignore it until you
0: can't ignore it anymore.
1: Exactly. And I had spoken to my doula and she suggested that as well. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to go about my day, pretend these aren't happening. And when I really can't ignore them anymore, then I'll know that this is the real thing. So um, woke up in the morning, I had um, like one contraction. And then I was like, Hmm, that's interesting. (laughs) And then nothing for like an hour. And then I actually, um, I saw that my mucus plug had come out. So I, I saw like, you know, blood and whatnot. And I called my doctor. And the second I said, I saw blood, (laughs) they were like, you need to come in. I'm like, seriously, I should have just kept my mouth shut and not called them but I didn't do that. So we ended up going to the hospital in the morning and they hooked me up to the contraction monitor and what was in triage. My doctor was there and she, this is probably like 10 in the morning. Um, and she checked me and she's like, you're like one and a half centimeters, centimeters dilated. Um, you know, not really having contractions, like I was having like very one an hour like I said at this point like when I was there you know one showed up on the contraction monitor but that was basically it she's like you're welcome to stay and we could get your baby out or you can go home and come back when you're actually in labor which I really appreciated because she wasn't like well you know here let's go I look at the baby out now like let's start the Pitocin so I was really relieved that she put the decision like in my hands um so I was like no thank you I'm gonna go home so we went home um, and again, I like went through my day. I um, actually had an acu. So fast forward, I actually had an acupuncture appointment at two o'clock, and I'd been going to acupuncture starting at like thirty six or thirty seven weeks. Um, and I went to my acupuncture appointment, and while I was there, I started having contractions like one every twenty minutes, every ten minutes, and they were lasting like thirty to forty five seconds. Um, and I told my um acupuncturist and she was like oh like do you want to stay like make sure that the contractions keep going and I had been there for I was there for like an hour with the needles in and I was like mm, I think I'm gonna go home like I started feeling this sense like I think this might be the real thing like I, I need to like go home and like um be in a place where I don't have to worry about getting home so
0: mm-hmm.
1: I left went home called my doula and she was like okay sounds good like you know call me like in an hour, see how you're doing. Um, she knew, like, I was kept having these false alarms. Like, she didn't want to get my hopes up. So I got on the subway. Um, this is, like, by Columbus Circle. So I was getting on the subway there to go back home. Um, and while I was on the subway, I had another three contractions. So, like, from 59th Street to 96th Street, like, not so many stops. Um, so, like, three contractions while I was on the subway. Called my husband when I got out of the subway, and I was like, I think you need to come home. Um and he had just started a new job. <laughs> so he's like, what time? <laughs> it was like four o'clock at this point. I'm like, mm, maybe like six o'clock, but let me call you. So I got home and I kept then I started really having contractions. I like was like one every 10 minutes, then a couple of them were seven minutes apart, a couple of them were four minutes apart. Um they were like they were around, I don't really remember, but let's say between 30 seconds and then 45 seconds, somewhere like a minute. And I would, was literally just like going about my business and then I would go in my room when I was having a contractions, put my head on my bed, get through the contraction, and then it was over. Mm-hmm. And then I would just like keep going about my business. And I think that that's just one piece of advice that I would share for moms is that one thing that really worked for me was like reminding myself like the contraction is going to end. It's like meaning just get through it and then it's over. And that, I mean, that was my experience. I don't even know better than me. I don't know if that's the same for everyone, but that... The fact that you can have this like intense sensation for a minute and then nothing I think is just crazy. It's a great coping
0: skill. I mean, using it as a mantra, you know, this will end, you know, how we do that even in class, we work on that idea of like holding poses and be like, and then there's a break. So looking at them in little tiny pieces that end, not trying to count how many are ahead, but recognizing that yes, it's intense now, but I'm going to have a break. So I'm really glad that that helped you.
1: Yeah, so that was a huge help. And at this point, my mom was actually in she was actually in my apartment. Um we were trying to buy time around my due date so that I was keeping busy. So she was there. And my we actually have a net na- a nanny. So she was helping take care of my son. Um, so I had people around, like I wasn't by myself in my apartment. Um, and then when they were started getting closer together, I called my doula and she still was like, Okay, let's see how it goes, see how it goes. And I told my husband to come home and then Um, eventually called the doctor. (laughs) This is I called her. Sorry, actually, when my husband got home, I had him call her because at this point, my contractions were like semi-frequent, like probably between four and seven minutes. And I was just like, can you call her? So he called, put me on the phone and she's like, this is your second baby, right? I'm like, yeah. She's like, you need to come in right now. (laughs) 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 Like, okay. So I called my doula and I was like, we're going to the hospital. So my husband came home at six. We left the apartment at 6.45. um, And then got there, got it, went to triage by the time we got there it was four centimeters and um a hundred percent of face. And my um so my doctor was on call at the time, but the doctor, but they ends up switching shifts. So a different doctor actually ended up delivering Shoshana. Um my doctor was there and she she was great. And so basically I delivered at Mount Sinai West and for those who don't know, Mount Sinai West has a birth center. So I really wanted to deliver in the birth. I really wanted to um, have my baby in the birth center because they're, you know, that's, a, for me, it felt like a great option to minimize like medical interventions and have, you know, a more comfortable labor environment. Um, and I met all the criteria. They have a lot of criteria that you need to meet to get in the birth center. And I met all of it and it wasn't available. And like oh, wasn't wow. there? Like wasn't a nurse? They need. They, they didn't know, have a nurse a ready. Nurse. Yeah. Yeah. And my doctor was so mad because <laughs> she knew I really wanted it, and it was such a you know it seemed like such a silly reason. Um, it wasn't that it was full; they just didn't have a nurse. And I was like, "It's fine, like it's fine." But it really made me feel good that she was really on my side. Yeah, um, and it's like she really wanted it for me. But I think going in, I never had my hopes up that I was going to have a, have my baby in the birth center because I knew there was a chance I could get induced, which would risk me out since I was late with my first. Um, I knew that you know something could come up that I wouldn't have my baby there. So just mentally, I, had, I didn't have my heart set on the birth center, even though that's ideally what I wanted. So. And I'm
0: glad you, if I'm going to jump in, I'm glad that you had that reality because yeah. having been a doula to many people hoping to use the birth center, it is very rare we actually got to use it. Um, wow. And it's usually something got risked out. Maybe Mm. the woman's blood pressure was slightly high from anxiety, or she was a couple days past her due date beyond. At one point for a while, it was 40, it was 40 days, 40 weeks, six days. And then they dropped it. it, And then, or maybe it was even somewhere in 41, then they dropped it, then they put it back up. And then, but there's also even just like you, you met all the criteria. Sometimes there's just not a nurse available. And so because it sounded like you were open-minded, it allowed the birth to flow a little easier Then all of a sudden this huge disappointment from exactly. the beginning. So that's good that you, that was actually one of the reasons that I chose not to do the birth centers because as much as I believed in the birth center, and I truly do. It's just so rare to get in.
1: Right. 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 So yeah, that was, I mean, it was definitely a disappointed disappointment, but it was fine. I sort of just, like, had in my head going into the birth, like, just to sort of go with the flow because I know that getting stressed out is not, not going to help productive <laughs> for having a baby. So I was trying to not get stressed out about it. And, um, they also, I mean, it's a, you know, plan B, but they do say if the birth center is not available, like, we'll try to give you as much of a birth center experience as we can, mm-hmm. which, you know, they could say that and it's not, but they actually did do a pretty good job. So I could talk about that as well. But, um, So we got admitted. And so in triage, um, just give a little detail about that. So they made, you know, they make you lay on the bed and have the contraction monitors and going through those contractions while laying down was not fun. Like, thank God I had my doula who was just like putting a ton of counter pressure on my back and helping me through those. Because at this point, the contractions were pretty much every five minutes, let's say. Um, And lasting like, you know, let's say 45 seconds to a minute. Um, so finally got admitted, we got admitted and there wasn't a room available. <laughs> so not only was the birth center not available, now there was no regular labor and delivery room available. So I was walking the corridor with uh, my husband and my doula stopping every time a contraction came on and we were doing that for about an hour, maybe longer. Like I don't really have such a great sense of time because I wasn't paying attention to the clock, mm-hmm. but it was like. I would say – so we got to the hospital at, like, say 7, got admitted at, like, 7.30, 7.45. Yeah, that sounds right. And it was probably a good hour, hour and a half that we were in the hallway. I was started having contractions that were over a minute, two to three minutes apart, and I still wasn't in a labor and delivery room. So I <laughs> I was in this crazy state, though, where I was, like, joking with my doctor. I was like, Dr. Nibizde, I'm going to have my baby on the floor. I need to get into a room. Like, this isn't funny. Um, she was like, I know, I know. And they were really trying to figure it out. But again, I was just like going with the flow. We were like in a good rhythm. Like we were just walking, contraction would come. I would like go up to the wall, put my head in my hands. And my doula was like putting a ton of counter pressure on my back because I had a lot of like my hips were very tight. They, they still are. So like when I would have contractions, it was like residual like tightness in my hips. So she was like really helping with that pain relief. Um, and we were just doing that for like an hour, hour and a half till we got into a room and actually while we were in the hallway, the anesthesiologist came up to me and he said, started talking to me about an epidural and I just looked at him and I said, no, thank you.
0: Well, I mean, how <laughs> would they even do that in the hallway?
1: You can't do no, that. The they wanted me to, yeah, I know. I don't know. They wanted me, I guess, to sign a waiver if I did oh, want Oh, in to- case you wanted to. So that's actually crazy though, because for someone who would want an epidural, like I was in the hallway. Yeah, like what would they do? Out, I guess medication. you. Know- I, mean, I didn't want pain medication, but what if someone did? Like, really, what would they have done? Well,
0: my guess is, because this happened to me for one birth, is that they actually they actually put the person in an OR, even though it was an unmedicated vaginal birth, because it was very quick. We came in at over 10, like, she was 10 centimeters ready to push. So they we had no option to walk the halls. Like, it was yeah. coming. Um, yeah. I'm guessing if someone was saying that and felt the birth was imminent, maybe they'd put them in the OR, but they really need to save those for emergencies that come up. But I think the reason they let my client do it that one time, one, is like she truly was about to give birth and and because it wasn't clearly going to take very long. I want to ask a question about um, how you decided to change, like what, what, how did you find the right philosophy with your...
1: Yeah, um, I would like to say I did a lot of research about about it. I didn't do a ton, but what I did do was I sort of um, – I knew that I wanted someone who was um, more similar to me in terms of like minimizing interventions. But and did you interview or – I did, did you- an interview. I just asked – I really asked a lot of my friends. Um, I have a friend who's very similar-minded to me when it comes to birth, and she delivered her first with this practice. So she recommended them and then I had a couple of other friends who had delivered with this practice and they all had positive experiences um so I sort of just went with that.
0: Yeah, I mean um, you know I talk a lot about in class it's so important to have a care provider that has the same birth philosophy. And yeah. I think what unfortunately happens with that first one is you may either stick with who you've had just for your yearly checkups or you you just yeah. kind of ask around but you don't yeah. maybe you don't know what it is you want in the very beginning. So it's, that's
1: part of it. Yeah. yeah. Especially with the first, like I, yeah, I mean, I just went to my OB GYN who had been my yeah. GYN for since I was, you know, whatever younger. So, um, yeah. So this time around, I really just, you know, I asked friends and I sort of, and I, especially my friend who, um, I know is similar to me. Like she understands what I want and we talked about it. So that recommendation really helped um, but I didn't actually interview the providers. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by.
0: Granger, For the ones who get it done. Well, I'm, I'm glad you found someone. So once you got yeah. in your room, how quickly did yeah, things happen? Yeah, so I happen? started to her
1: room. So then, right, like my doula was, um, like she had like aromatherapy. She was like setting up her aromatherapy thing, and we like I had them shut off all the lights. Um, and they, I w- they still put the mo- like monitor on me, but I, I hadn't been monitored since I got admitted, so they put the monitor on, but I was able to stay like upright standing. Um, and that was really good. Um, when I was at NYU, I remember like being in the bed and having like really, 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 really strong contractions. And at one point saying, I feel like I'm going to die. <laughs> um, so this time around, I was upright. I was able – at this point, I wasn't really wanting to like walk around. But I was just like had my head like in my hands on the bed, sort of like leaning over and and just taking the contractions um, like that. And – had yeah, the lights off, um, and they put the monitor on. And then at one point, my doctor came in to check me, and she looked at the monitor. She's like, She's fine, just take off the monitor. <laughs> um, so that was really good. And she checked me, so I was seven centimeters at this point. Um, and I sort of felt like a little discouraged because I felt like my contractions were really close together, and I was wanted to be further along, even though it hadn't been that much time. But my dualist. To me, she's like, This is she's like, You're almost there. Like, this is the last part, this is the hardest part, but it's the fastest, and you're like almost done. So, um, and also, like, as she was massaging me, I kept telling her, like, to go lower down. And whether this is true or not, she told me that was good because that meant the baby, the baby was moving down. down. Yeah, yeah. So, she, you know, all those like affirming, um, statements were really helpful. And so, I got into the room, I was seven centimeters, and then things like really. Um, picked up even more Um, and the contractions started getting like a lot closer together longer and you know I was definitely using a lot of the techniques that we did in um, yoga class like the sounds and the swaying and all that stuff really helped me and my doula actually had this really cold like washcloth so my husband's job was to like keep it cold (laughs) and every time I got a contraction I would just like shove it into my face and that was like our system um, and then eventually I was like, I feel like I need to push. Um, so when I was pushing me, my doctor came in and she, so she checked me. She's like, you're almost there. You're like nine and a half. And then like, literally, I think 50 minutes later, I was like, okay, like, I really feel like I need to push. So she came in and she was like, yep, you're ready. So basically they, she asked me to get onto the bed, but I could really be in any position that I wanted. So at first we tried, like I was facing like the head of the bed, backwards and I guess I was sort of like squatting like mm-hmm. as if you went on a squat bar but I couldn't like I couldn't get like it wasn't really comfortable for me um so then it ended up she was like why don't you try to turn around um and then we sort of did like a semi-seated position so like not flat on my back but like with the head of the bed like raised and my feet were like up I think in the stirrups honestly I never remember um, <laughs> but like semi-seated and That was, for me, like, even though I know from all the stuff that I've done learning about birth and whatnot, that, um, you know, upright positions are, like, utilize gravity better and whatnot to push the baby out. For me, it was just, like, it wasn't working. Mm -hmm. I sort of envisioned myself giving birth, like, giving birth in, like, the more traditional position, which I guess is just the fault of society. Um, So I had, I delivered her like that and she was out pretty quickly. Um, The most, the, really, overall, I would say my contractions were very manageable. The most painful part was pushing her out. Like I, it wasn't like that with Ellie. I don't know why, but it was the most painful thing. <laughs> Not to scare anyone listening, but it was. But then it was over. It was just you know one second. Um, the other thing is my water didn't break until I wanted to say this also. So when I was seven centimeters, my doctor was like, "Well, we could break your water," and I was like, "No." And my doula sort of helped her explain why we why I may want them to bring my water because it like to help it progress faster. And she was, I was still like, no, I don't want to do it. And she was like, okay, that's fine. So my water didn't really break until I was pushing, but we were joking, like maybe I'll deliver the baby still in her sack. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then I would have had a baby on my new date and in the sack. Like what are the statistical chances of that happening? Yeah. Um, We were like joking about that. But anyway, my water broke on its own, like right when I started pushing, um, and she was out and they like put her right on my chest. And they were, they said like, it's a girl. And I, had, I didn't know the gender of the baby. So I sort of had a feeling it was a girl. Um, and when they said that, I was like, yeah, I, I was surprised, but not surprised. I was just really happy. And I just looked at her. <laughs> um, and it was just, yeah, I mean, it was great. I think the best thing was that my doctor was just so calm and it was so much more chill than my first birth mm-hmm. um, in terms of the delivery. Like the d- first delivery I felt like was, thank God it wasn't an emergency, but it almost felt like emergent, like very like chaotic. And the second one was just like, okay, like, you know, let's change positions. Let's try a different position. Even like the nurse was supporting me. There was one point where I was like, please don't touch me because I was just in so much pain and she like totally backed off. The nurse I had also was like amazing. Um, Just a totally different feel. Um, so having had experience. these two
0: very different yeah. experiences, what advice would you give to expectant parents right now in terms of making sure they have the right fit or how to support themselves and having the birth that they envision or, or just what was, what was kind of your takeaway from the very two different experiences?
1: Yeah, I think it, it really came down to just um, one is I think I, had confidence in myself that I knew that this is something I could do. Um, I really spent a lot of time like thinking about how I thought the birth would go, what coping mechanisms I would use, and also just talking to myself and saying like, I can do this. Um, I I think that was one important, that's one important thing for moms to remind themselves. Like, you know, I think we, we live in a world where there's a lot of you know, fear around birth and people and women thinking that they can't do it without X, Y, and Z helping them. And I, I really think that that's, um, you know, that was something that I worked through, like knowing that I really could do this. Um, and the second thing was, um, finding a, finding a doctor that I felt was aligned to my philosophy that I think really came in handy, um, you know, and respected me, like even when there were times when they recommended certain medical interventions, like breaking my water or, you know, when, when we were there earlier in the morning recommend, you know, saying like, do you want to get induced? (laughs) Um, leaving it up to me. Like that was huge. Yeah. They gave you ownership over your own experience.
0: That's from the research I have read the, the people that are involved in the choice making, even if it doesn't necessarily, happen exactly how they envisioned. If you're, right. uh, if you're involved in the choice making feel so much more satisfied with the birth experience. And if you're told this, cause it tends to be little people. If you tell them what to do, especially in birth, where it's your body going through the experience to kind of be put aside as if your experience doesn't matter, it can yeah. feel, it can really feel scarring. So I'm glad For that sure. you had a really great experience. On that, especially yeah, the second yeah. time. Yeah. So are there other any other takeaways you think new and expectant parents should think about or advice that you wish someone had told you?
1: Um in, in advice for like for, birth or advice. Well, just advice in for general, birth?
0: either parenthood or birth or whatever it was. Yeah. What do you wish you had known and that you can now share with someone else?
1: Yeah, um, I think so for I think for birth and actually for motherhood is just making sure you have the right support in place. Um, and also, so right support in place, meaning, you know, for birth, like we had um, a doula. We almost didn't hire a doula for the second time, not because we didn't love her. We loved our doula, but because we were like, ah, oh, we're second time parents. We could do this on our own. <laughs> like that was not true at all. Like Afterwards, we were like, what were we thinking? Thank God we had her. Um, so, you know, whether the support people that you have is your, you know, partner or a fat friend or family, whoever it is, just make sure you have the right people in place. I think that's true for birth and for new motherhood. Um, making sure you have people that are rooting for you and on your team. And I think another thing is that I'm really big on is just self-education um, and not relying on your doctor to educate you. I think I sort of thought that my doctor would give me the education the first time around, but they don't have the time to do that. Um, and there's so many resources out there that you can look through. Um, and I think it's just so important to know the options, to know the information. I mean, I think I've literally listened to every single podcast on (laughs) yoga birth babies. I'm not joking. Um, (laughs) Yeah, and you know, And evidence-based birth, I've just started listening to just, I'm fascinated by all of this. So I'm definitely a bit of an extreme when it comes to finding out information. (laughs) But I think that just knowing what's out there and knowing the options, knowing the information, um, and really, like owning that part of it, because I don't, I don't think, unfortunately, that like a care provider has the time. Or, yeah, and it's not really, it's not, it's not really their role. Well,
0: it's not their role necessarily to educate you. What they are supposed to do, ACOG guidelines say that when it comes to say they like, okay, we're going to break. I recommend breaking your water. I recommend pitocin. Right. They are supposed to tell you the pros and cons. Yeah. They're not necessarily supposed to like give you a full childbirth education class, right. but they are supposed to give you, you could not do this and here's the reason you may choose not to, or you could and here are the reasons, but the reality is it doesn't really happen. And so yeah. it best suits the whole birthing team if you come in with that information. So I'm glad- I'm glad. Speaking of which, let's talk a little bit about you we kind of mentioned the beginning your professional life. So you're thinking <laughs> I'm so excited whenever I hear new stu- like students say I'm thinking of becoming a childbirth educator cuz yeah. this has happened a lot actually. And the funny thing is, I feel like it it actually, it happens a lot. It happens with our teacher trainees. A Mm -hmm. lot of them end up becoming doulas. I think, I hope I don't romanticize the birth world too much because it's a hard world, the doula world. But what was it that sparked um, the desire to head into childbirth education?
1: Yeah. So actually, so professionally, right? I mean, right now I'm working full time. So I'm sort of pursuing this thing as like a passion project side (laughs) side project, which is interesting because there's... Um, there's so much to learn, but, um, what inspired me, I think I'm just so fascinated by how much information is out there and how amazing, um, you know, birth really is. Like I was just listening with one of the podcasts that you have about how like the hormones, you know, are all (laughs) interacting and how it's just like, so designed to be such an amazing process. Um, and that fascinates me, and I just how the information that's out there, and how like the natural process of birth is so mismatched with how it's managed and perceived, a, and perceived in society, and in you know the in a hospital setting, um, and I think just trying to be educated about. Birth in an official way versus just listening to podcasts and being like, oh, this is what I learned. (laughs) Right. So, one thing that motivated me is just being a little bit more legit about um, being really interested in all this information. And the second thing is hopefully, you know, being someone that can educate people to try to bridge the gap between this is the natural process, you know, this is how birth is. And here's how you can, you know, have a really positive birth experience by having that information being able to make choices um, and try to bridge the gap between like the natural process and the medical interventions that are so prominent and common um, as just routine. Um, It's exciting.
0: I'm really excited. And of course, please let me know if there's any support I can offer you because I just love seeing this desire to be part of that world um, expand. I feel like we need as many birth workers who believe in the physiological birth as well as those who just want to provide information. I think the most important thing we can do as birth workers is give evidence-based information for people to make their own choices so they don't feel victim to someone telling them how to birth. Because I think that can be really scarring. Yay, I'm so
1: happy for you. It's really exciting. And I'm also actually, I started right recently and Instagram. So if you can follow me, if you want, sure. Um, it's called real life mom blog, which is sort of like telling the realities <laughs> of motherhood and birth. Um, oh, and there's so many. There for so, many realities. so they're sort of like, I definitely felt after my first, like, why did no one tell me this? Why did no one tell me this was going to be this hard? Um, so also trying to help other people help other moms not feel that
0: way. Yeah. we'll make sure we put that in our show notes too. So <laughs> people that want to do that can jump on. Well, I want to thank you so much thank for giving so much. me some of your time. I love chatting with you. I love getting to know the students beyond just the mat. That's why I love pulling these, the community birth stories in is because everyone has their own story. You know, we often just see what's in front of us in the class, have a few minutes to chat, but everyone carries such valuable knowledge and information. So thank you for sharing.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It was good talking to you. Good
0: chatting with you. Take care. The rest of your day. Bye. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.